this week is week number five in this series that we kicked off actually at the beginning of February called, that we called God Part Two, where we're walking through the Gospel of Matthew. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, that's okay. Matthew is the first book of what is known as the New Testament part of the Bible. We're walking through this book to take a closer look at Jesus' life, his ministry, his death and resurrection, and to see how his life actually mirrors the Exodus story, which is a crucial, central story found in the Old Testament. Now, as a reminder, the Exodus story is found in the book of... Thank you, goodness, somebody. Oh, my Lord, we're going to stop and pray for a moment. It's found in the book of Exodus, yes, which is very close to the beginning of the Bible. And as I mentioned, it's in the Old Testament. And it is God's story of rescue from slavery for his people, the Israelites, through a man named Moses. God hears the cries of the Israelites who are being oppressed, who have been enslaved in Egypt, and he calls Moses to lead his people out of slavery and into the promised land to be liberated, and then to use them as the conduit for the healing and the peace and the goodness that God wants to see dawn in our world. The Israelites' journey to the promised land is very long, long and very challenging. It's, it, they've got, they come up against a lot of challenges. It involves them going through the waters of the Red Sea. And notice I said going through the waters of the Red Sea. That's because God actually parts the Red Sea for them so that they can walk through on dry ground as part of his rescue for them. From there, the Israelites find themselves in the wilderness, which is a place where their trust of God as their king is tested and every member, everybody remember how the Israelites did with that? Yeah, not great. That's right. Not great at all. They fail to stay true to God's purpose or plan for them. And eventually, they end up in exile where they will have to wait for God's promised kingdom of heaven. Okay. So that's the Exodus story in a nutshell. Now, if you're new here, we actually taught a pretty thoroughly about that story back in the fall in our series called God Part One. And if you missed that, no worries. I promise you're not going to be lost in this series at any point. We're going we're gonna to draw the parallels for you. But if you do want to check it out, it is available online, and I would encourage you to do that. So we've called this series that we started, like I said, at the beginning of February, God Part 2, because we believe that the book of Matthew reveals to us that Jesus is God's new exodus or rescue for his people. And that this new exodus is actually one of the central metaphors of Jesus' life and ministry here on earth. So we've been approaching this series sort of as a sequel to the first exodus story. Now, if you remember back in week one of this series, we told you that a good sequel story will include the original story and actually add to it or transcend it. And that's what we believe to be true about Jesus' story as we see it in the book of Matthew. It reveals God's desire for his children to be freed and liberated, to bring God's healing and peace and goodness to the world, and it reveals that he has sent Jesus to be this rescue. So, 
We're going to recap where we are in the series and in the book of Matthew, where we've gone so far. We started out with the first couple of chapters of Matthew, hearing about the genealogy of Jesus and his birth story. Then a couple of weeks ago, we looked at chapters three and four, where Jesus actually passes through the waters of his own baptism, and then after that, how he goes into the wilderness to be tested. Are you guys hearing the, the similarity there? Yeah. It sounds a little bit like the first Exodus story, right? But unlike the Israelites, Jesus succeeds, and he exits the wilderness. He passes the testing, and he exits the wilderness as the true son of God who has come to announce that the kingdom of heaven is here, that the kingdom has arrived through him. Jesus' ministry begins as he forms a smaller community around him. We've, we've talked about this before, the disciples or followers. And they go out together and travel around to tell others this good news that the kingdom of heaven has arrived through Jesus. They heal the sick. And they, they spend their time, Jesus spends most of his time with the least expected people you would think, right? Right? He spends his time with the sick, the lame, the wounded, the true sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors. These are the people, the very people that the religious leaders of that time would have intentionally avoided. And that's who he chooses to spend his time with. The next week, we took a look at chapters 5 through 7, where Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount. Now, this is his longest single teaching and one of his most important teachings. This is where Jesus takes his followers up onto a mountainside and teaches them what it looks like, what kind of actions are called for to live in the kingdom that is here and now. Pastor Mike reminded us a couple weeks ago that this also mirrors the Exodus story because what happens after the Israelites go through the waters of the Red Sea and then through the wilderness? Moses goes up to the mountain, Mount Sinai, to meet with God, and then he brings down the commandments that are intended to teach us how to live in the kingdom. Now, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells us during the Sermon on the Mount that, listen to this, he has not come to abolish the law of Moses, these commandments that Moses brought down from, from the mountain. He has not come to abolish the law of Moses, but that he has actually come to accomplish or fulfill their purpose. Hear that, to fulfill their purpose. That's going to be important for us later. And then that brought us to chapters 8 and 9 last week where we looked at some of the stories where Jesus is actually performing the miracles and is healing the sick and the wounded. Stories of powerful and mighty work which are acting out the kingdom of heaven through healing. Bringing the kingdom through signs and wonders. And Sam did a great job of showing us that Jesus was simply revealing God's character to us. His very DNA, his desire, which has always been to bring healing and rescue for his children. Now, in chapter 10, we can read that Jesus calls, equips, and then sends 
the 12 apostles, to go and tell more people, to travel around, to tell more people that the kingdom of heaven has arrived. And he instructs them to perform more miracles, healing the sick and casting out demons in the places that they go. So that brings us to today. We're now in chapters 11 and 12 where we begin to see the negative responses or the controversy that arises on the other side of these powerful teachings and miraculous healings. We're going to look at one incident in particular, which is found at the beginning of chapter 12, but I'm going to start us like Wendy did when she read the scripture in chapter 11, the end of chapter 11, and I want you to follow along as I reread the scripture that she read for us. This is Matthew 11:28 through 12:8. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. At about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath, His disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. But some Pharisees saw them do it and protested, Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, I like to picture it in a snarky voice. Jesus said to them, Haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God, and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. And haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? I tell you, there is one here who is even greater than the temple. But you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. Listen to this. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Now, to fully grasp this controversy, that can you feel the tension in those words and in that moment, you have to understand what has happened before Jesus has said these words. Like we said, he has been traveling around and teaching people and healing people all to reveal that he is the son of God who has come to bring rescue for his people. He has performed these miracles that people have actually witnessed, yet still people are questioning if he is who he says he is. In fact, earlier in chapter 11, even his own cousin, John the Baptist, says, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? People don't believe that he is who he says he is. People have seen the evidence, these signs and wonders, but they still question. They don't trust that God has actually sent Jesus for their rescue. They are trusting in what they have known, which up to this point has been the law of the Lord delivered through Moses. So for Jesus to, in their eyes, break the Sabbath and then go on to make this claim that he is in fact the Lord over the Sabbath, that he is Sabbath rest, it raises some eyebrows to say the least, causes some problems 
particularly for the religious leaders of the time. Remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy is one of the 10 laws that Moses brought down from the mountain as instruction on how to live in God's kingdom. The word Sabbath actually comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to rest or to cease from work. It's important for you to know that definition, and and it's important for you to know that it actually dates all the way back to the creation story. After, I'm sure you guys have heard this story, after God created the heavens and the earth in six days, scripture tells us that he rested on the seventh day from all his work. Now, even if you've heard that story before, I wanna make sure that it's clear that you understand God wasn't tired and needed rest. God is God. He is all powerful. He doesn't get tired or weary. Lord knows I've tried to test him on that area. He doesn't get tired of me. He doesn't get tired or weary. It simply means that he stopped what he was doing. He ceased from his work of creating. And God uses this example of him resting to establish this day of rest for his people. Listen to these words here. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. God is inviting us to cease from our labor and set aside specific time to remember him. Holy, set aside. Keep it set aside and and sacred. Set apart. In the Old Testament, the people of God were constantly laboring or working to, to make themselves acceptable to God, keeping the ceremonial laws, the temple laws, the civil law. And when they failed to keep all of those laws, which they did, they offered sacrifices so that they could come to God for forgiveness and so that they could restore close fellowship with him. But these sacrifices were offered ultimately in the anticipation of the ultimate sacrifice that would come, which was the promised Messiah the one who would come and be the ultimate sacrifice for all sin forevermore. And Jesus is saying in his words here, hey guys, that's me. It's me. I'm the one you've been waiting for. When the Pharisees criticized him for healing on the Sabbath or essentially harvesting grain like we read in our scripture, he is saying that he is the Lord of the Sabbath and he determines the true meaning of Sabbath because he is the very one who created it. Now in Mark chapter two, Jesus tells the Pharisees that the Sabbath Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus is stating here that Sabbath rest was provided to relieve us of our labors and that now he has come to relieve us of the need to work to achieve that forgiveness and fellowship with God. He doesn't relieve us from work in general. He relieves us from a very specific work, the work to try and achieve forgiveness and fellowship with God. That is no longer necessary. Which brings us to the first part of the scripture that we read today. Very popular verse out of Matthew 11. Let me read it for you again. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. 
Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Jesus is saying here that he is our Sabbath rest in the flesh. That he is God's plan for us to cease from the work of trying to earn our salvation, our close fellowship with him, if we would only yoke ourselves to him. Now, this is an interesting metaphor for Jesus to use in this time because a yoke is an instrument that is used for work, not just any work, but very heavy work. And we have some pictures of yoke and, a, and yoke in action in case you're not familiar with it. Like I said, it's intended for heavy, hard labor work. Now, it's designed and created, as you can see in these pictures, to share the load and evenly distribute the weight across the two ox, oxen or workhorses to help both of them carry the heavy load. It's a redistribution of the weight. Now, maybe another way that I could demonstrate this for you is this is, is my backpack. Isn't this lovely? Isn't this cute? This is my backpack. Uh, this is what I carry my work to and from home with. I, it usually has my laptop in it. It doesn't right now in case I drop it. It's not in there. But there are books in here, and there are always many books in here because I am one of those people who doesn't ever read one book at a time. I'm always reading. I don't even want to tell you the number, but too many, too many at one time. Um, and so it's always heavy, okay? Now, Typically, I'm in a hurry when I'm leaving here or leaving to come here, and what do I do with this backpack? Sling it over one shoulder, head on my way, especially if I know I'm not going very far with it, just to the car maybe. But this backpack, like most backpacks, designed with two straps, is intended for me to wear it like this, to redistribute the weight and to carry it across my core, Carrying it over just one shoulder, like I said, has caused me a lot of pain in my neck and my back over the years. It's just a lazy habit that I have gotten into. And I don't use the backpack and it's intended the way it was designed to, to serve me and to make my load a little bit lighter. Now, I want you to notice that no matter how I was wearing the backpack, the weight inside of it never changed. It was just as heavy no matter how I carried it. The same with a yoke. The weight is still heavy, but now I have help carrying it because the weight has been redistributed. Jesus is saying here, yoke with me. And not only will I carry half of the weight, I'll actually carry more of the weight. And in fact, I'll actually carry most of the weight if you would just let me. Jesus doesn't say in this scripture that your yoke is gone and that your burden has been erased. It's still a heavy load. But he says it will be light because he's going to carry more or most of it for you. He has turned the yoke, this instrument of hard and heavy work and labor into an instrument of rest for us. He's saying that when you work with him leading you, you will find rest. That he is the one who will provide us with true rest. He's saying here that 
You can choose his light yoke of Sabbath rest, or you can choose to be a slave to sin and death, working and toiling to earn what has already been given to you. You can choose to take his yoke, but you have to be liberated from one to have the other. And Jesus is saying, here it is. Just come to me. My yoke is easy to bear. I will give you rest. He is the new Sabbath rest. And Sabbath rest is a new way of living. It's not just a thing to have or a list to check off the things that have to be done. The history of Sabbath has been about inconveniencing ourselves and sacrificing in order to remind us that our time is not our own. Much like this is the first first Sunday of Lent, and if any of you are on that journey, it is a time, a season that is set aside where we are called to make sacrifices in order to refocus our minds on what is important. Remove the obstacles that are standing between us and our, our close proximity to God. What are those things in our lives that are, that are distracting us? The inconveniencing ourselves, sacrificing. The real problem that we have experiencing Sabbath rest is not about how we schedule our time, though. It's about how much we actually trust God. For him to carry more and most of the burden, we have to first give it to him. We have to trust him with it. We have to trust that he's not going to leave it on the side of the road, that he's going to pick it up and carry it so that I don't have to go back and pick it up and carry it. We are intended to live in this Sabbath or new rest always, not just one day a week. It's no longer just about a rule that we follow. It's meant to do something for us. And it also, more importantly, says something about who we are to the Father. Sabbath is a reminder of our humanity and of how much God loves us. Now, to be clear here, Jesus isn't doing away with the Sabbath. In fact, we can read throughout the New Testament that Jesus still goes to the synagogues on Shabbat, on Sabbath, in honor of Sabbath. Even in the scripture we read today, it doesn't say that Jesus was questioning the concept of observing or keeping a Sabbath. The controversy with the religious leaders came from the old laws and rules about observing the Sabbath that they felt Jesus had violated when they harvested the grain, when they took food because they were hungry. Jesus isn't here devaluing the Sabbath. No, he is upping the value or amplifying the value of it. He is magnifying the Sabbath so that we look at every day through the lens of Sabbath. So that we see every moment as an opportunity to live out of an abundance of his love and mercy and then to share that liberation with others. Jesus is saying that one day, one single day, just doesn't go far enough. This is the way we get to live now because the kingdom of heaven is here. 
It permeates every day so that now the original point of the Sabbath, of the ritual, must change. He's saying that the law of the Sabbath has been fulfilled through him. Remember when we read that scripture? He didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. The point of the Sabbath is to remember that the thing that was lost in the Garden of Eden, our perfect fellowship with God, the point of the Sabbath is to remember and celebrate that through Jesus, that thing that was once lost is no longer lost. So today, as we move into communion, as you can tell that we're gonna receive communion together, as we come to the table to remember that what was once lost is no longer lost, we have to remember that we have been restored to communion and fellowship with God forever through the sacrifice of Jesus. The band is gonna play a song in a couple minutes. It's a song that I asked specifically for, for this gathering, because the lyrics in the chorus, I feel like, say so much. They fit so perfectly, and they say this. In the glory of your presence, I find rest for my soul. And in the depths of your love, I find peace makes me whole. I love, I love, I love your presence. I love, I love, I love you, Jesus. There is only one true rest, and it is found in the presence and in the love of Jesus. It is found in the one who says, take my yoke and I will carry more of the weight so that you don't have to. That's what I'll do for you. I will make your burden light. Not gone, not disappear, light. This new rest could only come through the sacrifice of Jesus, the only one who could fulfill the law and bring the kingdom of heaven here now. That is what brings us peace and new rest. So as we move into a time of communion, I would just invite you to take the time that you need to focus your heart on that. Focus your minds. Reorder your thinking, if that's what it takes. 